Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight and ask that you would take our time together and that you would encourage us in your word and give us strength. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Line, uh, wave your hand there. I think we have some in the back. And uh, this is uh, a series and uh, uh, you're going to need to be here as often as you can or uh, there will be some gaps and things. As we started out this series a couple weeks ago, uh, we understand that there is a true message from the Word of God. But if you go to ten different kinds of churches, you'll find ten different kinds of messages. Uh, and no one is out there trying to say, well, we kind of like the Bible, but we don't pay much attention to it around here. Now, that happens in a lot of churches. It really does. And some of you will uh, remember attending churches where the Bible was always visible, but it was never, ever really used. And uh, so what we are trying to do, and the title of this series is Truth or Imitation. And Jesus, in his teachings, as we went over the second lesson, he said that there were going to be many false Christ. And, of course, we know that there are many false gods. It's part of the history uh, as recorded in the Bible that there is one true God. And even, uh, not that we uh, subject the Scripture to logic, but if you'll just take simple logic, what does the word God mean? It means the only one, supreme, only one, being, only one. I mean, that's what the word means. And yet, how many supreme beings are out there? Uh, how many people make the claim? And I mean, some of them are uh, from... Uh, Many followers to the utterly ridiculous, as I think of a man named David Koresh. You may remember the wacko from Waco, as he was affectionately called here. He couldn't figure out whether he was Jesus Christ himself, come back in the flesh, or one of the great prophets, uh, both of which contradict Scripture completely. Or the Reverend Sun Young Moon, when we talk about absurdity, he, he kind of takes the cake as he claims that Jesus appeared to him three times, begging him to fix all of the mistakes that he had made. And uh, last time I checked, God doesn't make mistakes. And, and so, we have uh, people who follow uh Many of the quote-unquote great world religions and they believe in, in their gods and in their religion. And tonight, uh, again, we're, we're setting up groundwork because as we uh, go through these things, we have to decide what will teach us the difference between truth and imitation. How many of you have a fake leather jacket? 
I mean, when you go to buy one at the store, it is much easier to buy a fake leather jacket than a real one. Amen? I I mean, there's quite a difference in in the price. And, And then if you move into shearlings and fur coats and all of that, things get absurd. Uh, I remember my, uh, when my grandfather passed away, my mom gave me one of a coat that was bought for him. It was a shearling coat. Very, very expensive. The only problem was my grandfather was about that tall. And I said, what am I going to do with a coat uh, whose arms end up halfway up my arm? But the, the other problem was uh, my grandfather was a man of great girth as well. And, and so I could wrap it around me twice, but it only covered uh, parts. And, and so uh, I found a very good use because it was a high quality, I mean, very expensive coat. Uh, I made a seat pad for my office chair and for the van and stuff that you would have to pay a lot of money for. And I got my wife to cut it up, sew it up. And I got a lot of use because it was the real thing. We didn't want to throw it away. It it had a value. And yet, how many people cling, not to make a rhyme, to worthless things? They want that, quote-unquote, imitation because it looks like they might have the real thing. I mean, some of you may remember in the old days when cell phones were not common that there were people who wanted to feel important and so they would take their rechargeable electric razor with them to work in their car and hold it up like they were talking on the cell phone, so other people would think that they had enough money for them. And if you remember the old cell phones with the boxes and the exterior antennas, you could go to any auto parts store and buy fake antennas. So you could put one on your car and people would think that you have something that you don't. I wonder how many guys got broken windows because of fake cell phone antennas 20 years ago. Uh, And uh, if you're not old enough to remember this kind of stuff, take it for granted. It actually did happen. People did those things. And so when we bring those illustrations from life down to our relationship with God, we have to ask the question, do you have the real thing or do you have an imitation? And, of course, the best imitations look the most like the real thing. I mean, what, what is that? Uh, cubic zirconium uh, was the first of the fake diamonds. And the thing that made it such a good fake was it would scratch glass just like a real diamond. And so, unless you were a jeweler who were trained... Uh, to see the difference to the normal eye, it looked just like a diamond. And so, 
we understand that Satan himself, the Bible tells us in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that Satan himself is transformed as an angel of life. And it should be no marvel to you that his messengers would look like the messengers of the truth. And so tonight, we're going to try to deal with two subjects completely interrelated. And as I was going through my notes, I I realized that I have taught multi-week series on each one of these subjects. And so my mind is just so full of things uh, that uh, we could uh, actually... Uh, I was looking through, I think we had 20 weeks on the history and the preservation of our Bible. No way we can do 20 weeks in the first half of our lesson tonight. And then I have an, uh, 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 several different series on how to understand the Bible. Uh, each one, I think there's a total of 30-some lessons between those. And, I mean, that's more than a year uh, of 45-minute sermons, and we're going to try to do both of these things tonight just simply to summarize this thing and, again, to lay the down the, the, uh, the groundwork so that when we examine subjects like the church, again, we're going to put that in the context. Understand, there's a true church and there are fake ones. And the fake ones are going to look pretty good. In fact, sometimes they'll look better than the real ones. Until you apply the test. And see, that's where the Word of God comes in. The person of God and the Word of God. Let's, let's just look at Psalm 118, verse 89. 119, I'm sorry. Psalm 119. We're going to look at verse 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you ever think why the psalmist said that? Because we go back to the Garden of Eden, and what was the first thing that the devil did? Was he began to argue about the word of God. You see, God had said, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I was reading through a commentary that was dealing with that passage and And if you've been through the discipleship, that's one of the first things that we deal with was Eve was careless with the word of God. She added, neither shall ye touch it. But the commentator I read was a very good one, actually said that Eve was careless because she did not say of every tree of the garden. She said, we may eat of the trees of the garden. She forgot to emphasize the fact that God had given every tree of the garden to eat except one. You see, the devil's main line of attack has always been 
about the words. If the devil can change the words, then the message is lost. In fact, how many people have, do you know? Uh, I, I, I have met uh, many over the years that they just look and they say, there's so much arguing about this, I'm just going to ignore the whole thing. Like, that solves the problem? I mean, how many doctors argue about different types of treatment for disease? How many different medical journals say, this is not the way to do it, this is the way to do it. And, and they criticize and curse one another and yell at each other and, and, and all kinds of things go on in the medical field. And they're called quacks and, and, and all of this stuff. Yet, if you had one of those diseases, would you ignore treatment because doctors argue about how to treat the disease? I would hope not. And yet the spiritual world is much more urgent of a need than the physical world. Because your spiritual world lasts for eternity. The Bible is very clear. Either eternal life with God in heaven or eternal death separated from God in hell. There are only two options in the Bible. And so we need to, to be very careful. And so the first word that I want us to, to grab a hold of here is the word authority. Who has the right to say what is true and what is not? And of course, here at this church, it's very simple. That authority rests with God. Why? Because His Word, it says, forever. His Word is settled in heaven. You know why God's Word is settled forever in heaven? Because no one up there argues with it. There is no one permitted into heaven that would cast aspersion upon God's Word. But we live on earth. And that seems to be the main job. How many of you are following the news of our new president? You would think that he is the most hated man and the most evil man. Uh, I think it was Nancy Pelosi said, if you breathe air, the new Supreme Court justice pick is terrible for you. Well, actually, I, I breathe air and uh, I think he made a pretty good choice. That's just my opinion. You know why she hates the guy? Because everything she believes is true. He believes is wrong. So if he disagrees that much with Nancy Pelosi, I like him. And it's okay to smile. You'll be proud of me today. I kept my mouth shut. I saw some little lady on the street and she had a dump tea button right on her coat out loud. Uh, the most sour, sad-looking thing I have seen in weeks. And I almost said something. I said, no, nah, it'll be in the flesh. It won't be in the spirit. I'll just keep my mouth shut. She is so miserable, I'm not going to add to it. Why, why do people like that? Because 
they believe that they have the right to determine truth. Do you know that that is one of the classic symptoms of what we would call a mentally or emotionally disturbed person is the fact that they cannot accept what anyone else says about certain things or anything. A person who must determine all truth for themselves is certifiably crazy. You have to put them in a room to protect them from themselves. You know what? When they put up that sign that says 20 miles an hour or 25 miles an hour, boy, I think that's dumb. I, I think you're capable of doing a little better than that. On, I like Oklahoma City. It's 35 and 40 everywhere. Uh, but listen, I'm going to trust that I'm going to obey the laws. Even if everybody passes me, <laughs> I'm going to try to obey those laws. Why? Because I believe that I should obey the authority of the government of the city of New York. Do you have an argument with that? Or do I have the right to determine my own reality? When they say, stand away from the edge of the subway platform, do you have a problem with that? I know some people do. They just love to be right there and feel the whoosh on their toes as the train goes by. Don't do that. You'll get away with it sometimes, but there'll come a time when you won't. Uh, I'm, I just, listen, I am going to trust God as my final authority between right and wrong. And the only way that I can know what God says is because it's written down. Can we say amen to that? You see, this is the basis. Why does the devil attack the Word of God? Because the authority either belongs to God Himself alone, of which there is only one, or the authority rests in men, of which there are many, of which... There are as many opinions. Uh, it's often been joked, if you can get five Baptists in a room, you'll have seven opinions on any given subject. Because some people even disagree with themselves. And so the simple truth of the matter is, where are we going to find authority? God says that His Word is settled forever in heaven. If we believe in the true God and that He is good and that He will judge us by His words, then according to the Scripture as contained in the Bible, and according to just common reasoning, God must then give His Word to us. Do you see how simple that is? Why? Because God is good. Because God is the final arbitrator of truth. And because God will judge us by His words. 
How many of you have ever had a test in school that was over material that the teacher did not teach on or did not tell you was on the test? That shouldn't happen. Teachers are supposed to teach the material and then test you over the material. So when you fail the test, what do we do? Well, we start teaching the test. And then you don't learn anything except how to answer test questions. And, and God is not going to do that. Now, we, we have to deal with content. Where do we find God's authority? And, of course, we believe it's in the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. Uh, if you do not have this verse memorized, you, you need to put it in your heart and mind. And we'll probably go, if you want to write in another uh, scripture here, go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture. Now, what does that mean? All Scripture. Everything that's in the Bible is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Just turn over several pages uh, past the book of Hebrews. you got James and then First Peter. Um, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. Am I right? Yes, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And we'll just read verses 16 through 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said, I've heard God speak from heaven twice at Jesus' baptism and what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We believe in, if you like theological terms, the plenary, the verbal plenary inspiration of God. That means that God spoke to these men the words that he wanted them to write down and that every word is guided by the Holy Spirit of God. That means the authority rests in the person of God and in the words of this book called the Bible. And that the content is there because God put it there. It was not men just sitting down writing what they felt like writing. They had direction 
And then we talk about context. Does the Bible agree with itself? From the time that Moses wrote, about 1800 years before Christ, till the time that John wrote the book of Revelation, that was about 100 A.D., so we add 100 to 1800, 1900 years. We are in the year 2017, so let's just round it off for the, to make the math easy. That's 2000 plus 1800. Your Bible is over 3800 years old. Can you go to the bookstore and buy any book off the shelf of the bookstore that has that kind of antiquity? And yet, in the English language, this book is still the all-time best nonfiction seller in history. In the English language, this, this old King James Bible here. Does the Bible agree with itself? Or is it a book full of contradictions? Well, let's go back to that word authority. If God gave us this book, and if he directed the text, and if he, as we studied last week, is going to judge us by his words, then there can be no conflict in here. Otherwise, God is second-guessing and changing and, and putting us in the realm that politicians and scientists live in. One of the reasons we have such an upheaval in our country right now is because we are dealing with two diametrically opposed political truths. You see, you either spend your way out of debt, former administration, or you pay your bills, present administration. There is no common ground or compromise between those two positions. You either apologize to your enemies because they hate you, former administration, or you do your best to defeat your enemies so that they no longer inflict pain and suffering in the world. President, how do you, how do you get compromise between those two things? And so you are going to be a witness in the political world of some of the most rabid hate-mongering in American history. And we have people, as was demonstrated on the campus of Berkeley last night, that will go to any means to protect their <clears throat> truth. And if you think that what is going on is mainstream... That's not true. Mainstream elected the current president. Those are the facts. Somebody said, he got more, she got more votes, she got more votes. Well, wait a minute. Hillary Clinton polled 80% in four of the five boroughs of New York City. Staten Island, it was only 40%. <laughs> Some strange reason. But... Uh, you take the people who live in those four boroughs 
And I'll guarantee you that's almost half of the difference in the voter tallies. That if you just account for the disparity in votes in the major cities of this country, you easily have to have all of the answers that are out there. You see, does the Bible agree with itself? Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible require a special agency or special powers to interpret it? Well, the answer is yes and no. You see, the Bible does require the Holy Spirit of God to help you. A book is always best understood if you can talk to the author. That's what prayer is. Amen? But, does the understanding of the Bible belong to any individual or church or set of writings or teachings? Absolutely not. Do I have superpowers as your pastor to interpret the Word of God that you as people don't possess? No. But I do have this. I started Bible college in 1982. Uh, I graduated 31 years ago this May. And my entire life has been about reading and understanding and teaching this book. Should I be a little better at it than you who have to work full-time secular jobs and have only been saved for one or five or even ten years? Well, I would hope that that effort would be uh, a little bit evident. Amen? Not trying to puff myself up in any way, but what I'm simply saying is, I've spent my whole life about this book. I don't have special powers. And, And I will tell you this, the first 25 times you read through your Bible are the toughest. After you've done that, it's going to start sticking. And you're going to start remembering things and you're going to start being able to have the Holy Spirit make connections in Scripture and prove to you and show to you how that the Bible has no conflicts whatsoever. The Bible provides its own context, its own background. If you want to understand words, and, and, and we've taught, I've taught several complete lessons on this and we're only going to get halfway through this thing tonight. Uh, but the, the point here is, you want to understand a word, I, I love to quote and use, I use the Oxford English Dictionary. And you can go to any bookstore and you'll see a dozen different Oxford English Dictionaries. Uh, but several years ago, the church bought me one. It's 20 volumes. 120,000 plus entries. It's a good dictionary. In fact, it is what we would call the lexicon for the English language. And I have sat under men who have studied the Greek and the Hebrew 
uh, all their lives, professors in Bible college teaching us and preparing us for the ministry. And the thing that I have found against those that criticize the Bible and want to change the words is they may know their Greek and they may know their Hebrew, but they don't know their English. Now, I don't know Greek and Hebrew that well. I can use all the helps. I know my alphabet, basically. I can look things up. Uh, I can slaughter the enunciation of words in original languages, just like any other pastor. Uh, But I will tell you this. If you want to understand what a word means, the Oxford English Dictionary is not the final authority. How that word is used in this book is. That's what I mean by the Bible providing its own context. If you don't have a Strong's Concordance, uh, you can uh, get a free program. Download it from a dozen or more sites. Just Google King James KJV with Strong's. And, and it'll give you the numbers and you can type it in. And it will search through the Bible, or you can buy a Strong's Concordance. I think they're, what, 20 bucks or something? Uh, in, we have one in the, in the, thing, in the, um, uh, in the bookstore here. Uh, if you want one, we'll get you one. Uh, and it lists every word, every place it's found in the Bible. You want to study it, use the Bible for its own context. Now, here's just a play on speech, and I want to spend a few moments here. Is the Bible, is this book the Word of God, or as most scholars say, does it contain the words of God? I want you to understand that in just that little change in grammar, there is a world of misunderstanding. You see, if this book is the Word of God, then I don't have the right to change, criticize, redefine, redefine, find errors, or any other such thing. If this book is the Word of God, then it is the final authority. It teaches me the difference between right and wrong. It is the defining and the cutting, uh, the, the ultimate discerner of truth, the court of last appeal, are the words of this book. Can we say amen to that? Because if the Bible just contains the words of God, then who determines which words are God's and which words aren't? Men do. So we go back to the authority problem. And that is the number one issue. Who is in charge? How many times have you asked, who left you in charge? And that's the problem I have with most churches. Is because certain churches will say, Jesus left Peter in charge. Other churches will say it was the church fathers and, and all of these people down through the ages. Other churches will say it's our leaders that, that Jesus left in charge and they are the final arbiters of truth. Well, Jesus did die on the cross, but he rose again. 
and he ever lives. And the church belongs to him, and this word belongs to him. And the last time I checked, he didn't go anywhere. He still wants to be active in our hearts and in our lives today. Thus, the whole reason God gave us such a wonderful book called the Bible is because he wants us to have a relationship with him. But you cannot approach God your way. If you're going to approach God, it's got to be his way. And that's why he gave us a book called the Bible. And in Psalm 12, let's just read one verse here. If you uh, Just Psalm 12, verse 6. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Verse 7. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I remember talking to a certain individual who didn't believe that God preserved his word. In fact, he was so callous and, and, and uh, careless in his approach. He said, my Bible's not pickled. And by the way, his wasn't preserved. Uh, he had a different Bible. Uh, mine's preserved. Because God said that he would keep his words. And as I showed this passage to one of these people who believed these things, they said, oh, that's not talking about the Bible. Uh, excuse me, where are God's words? Do we sit cross-legged and go, mm, until God's words come to us? People do that. I don't recommend sitting cross-legged because there comes a time when you have to uncross them and that hurts. Especially after you get over a certain age. Amen? Uh, no, the simple truth is God's words are in the Bible and when He says He'll keep them and He'll preserve them, either God is lying to us or He's telling us the truth. In fact, when we get to the book of Revelation, He has special promises to those people who tamper with his words. He said, if you take away from them, he's going to take your name out of the book of life. Which means you're not going to heaven, my friend. Because if you detract from God's revelation, you seal in yourself An inability to understand God's words because you don't have them. And it says if you add to his words, he's going to add to you the plagues that are in the book of Revelation. By the way, they are many. And they are the most terrible that mankind will ever see. Could I challenge you? You don't want to go there. You don't want to mess with the words. God has given us a book, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll give you, someone asked the question, well, does, does preservation apply to translations? Are you trying to tell me that, that your King James Bible is inspired? And of course, it's just a play on words, is all it is. If I translate a preserved, inspired text into another language. 
Don't I get a preserved and inspired translation? It's just that simple. God did not open, reopen direct revelation to allow people to translate. But he gave us a word, an ideal. It's called honesty. We have hundreds of people employed on 42nd Street at the East River claiming that they honestly translate the speeches. And as far as I know, there has been absolutely very little problem as someone speaks in whatever their mother tongue is, and it is translated into the 140-some-odd languages represented at the United Nations when Khrushchev took his shoe and pounded it on the podium there and said, we will bury you. Every person in that room understood exactly what he was saying. So why is this book different from all other books? It is because you don't want the authority that this book is. And you see, as we study the history The Old Testament, the text was preserved by the Jewish people. It is fairly settled. The only people who argue about Old Testament are people who are trying to get new meanings from old words. People who are trying to undermine the deity of Jesus Christ, undermine his virgin birth, undermine the blood atonement. Uh, If that is your presupposition before you go to the Bible then how in the world are you going to end up at the right place? But if you'll just simply believe what the Bible says, you don't have a problem. The New Testament, for all points, and 95% of our manuscript evidence is all in agreement with each other. Then how come 152 out of 153 modern translations in English rely solely upon the 5% manuscripts to translate the Bible and ignore the 95% consensus that's already there. It's because they, whether they're willing to admit it or not, or just duped into pretending that they still have an authority, desire or have been tricked into becoming that final authority themselves. Now, again, if you want to, I think the, web, uh, the website's back up, and uh, I think the sermon thing is all connected, and you can look through uh, and, and get uh, all the sermons that have been preached there. The only translation available to you today readily in the English language that is 100%, 95 what, we, what I call the majority text, but you can't use that because they've redefined that. The traditional text of our Bible, Byzantine text, is your old King James Bible. Someone said, what about the New King James? All of the differences in the New King James comes from the 5%. That's why I don't recommend it. This is the only one that does not use those 5% manuscripts. So therefore, 
even if English is not your original language, invest the time in learning how to read this Bible. By the way, if you want to learn English, here's the best book in the world to do it. If you can read this, you can read anything that you will need to read. And so, and really we've covered this with just a few moments. There are three basic approaches. I've been preaching all night about the literal approach. And the definition I wrote out, the best one I could come up with, We mean a simple and consistent application of word meanings grammatical and grammatical construction to discern the message intended for the original audience from the original speaker. This necessarily demands the same simple and consistent application of historical and cultural context while keeping the passage in its textual and overall biblical context. Now, what we simply mean is, words mean something. You cannot change the meaning of words, even if you don't like the words, because this is the authority, not you. Are there difficult passages in your Bible? Absolutely. But if there weren't difficult passages in your Bible, would you not doubt that it came from God? Hello? Why do we want to dumb God's Word down when God has promised that He would raise the level of our understanding? Amen? You see, the allegorical... Allegory is used only one time in your Bible, Galatians chapter 4, and it says so. Therefore, we are literally understanding the story in a hidden meaning, but the meaning is revealed to us and we are still bound by the words of the text. Are we still all together on that? You see, it's not the Bible code. How many of you remember that stupid book? All these hidden meanings in the Bible. Listen. There are as many hidden meanings as there are people to find them. If the authority is in the words, then there's only one meaning. And that's a meaning that anyone who is willing to learn how to read and learn to study can find. Amen? We have the private approach. And we just read the verse a few minutes ago that no Scripture is any private interpretation. And yet, can you become a Jehovah's Witness without reading Watchtower Bible and Track uh, Society literature? I challenge you, you cannot. Can you become a Mormon by read, by not reading Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and uh, LDS material. I challenge you, cannot. By the way, you can't even become a Lutheran without reading after Martin Luther. Now, you can go to most Lutheran churches. They don't care anymore. As long as you'll show up, put money in the offering plate, that's all we require in most of these churches today. We're not going to do that here. You see, 
Here's the overall context, and this is where we're going. That's the verse is printed on your outline, Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I want you to understand that everything that we're talking about in, in this lesson is tied to that verse. You see, God is... And God is good. And God's pleasure, what God desires, is the absolute best thing that could ever happen to me or ever happen to you. You cannot get too much Bible. The Bible will not make you crazy. It will make you sane. It will allow you to see all the crazy that is out there. And that's pretty scary. That's why the Bible tells us we're to run the race looking unto Jesus. Not unto a political party. Not unto science or any of these other things. We've got to keep our eyes on the living Word as He helps us understand the written Word. And if you're following Jesus... And His Word, as has been said so many times, shouldn't there be some defining characteristics? We call them distinctives. Baptist distinctives. Because the only people historically who have ever held to these characteristics consistently This is the definition of what a Baptist church is. I didn't grow up a Baptist. I became one because I understood that they already believed what I believed. I learned what I believed from the Word of God. And so I said, wait a minute. I don't have the right to start my own church if Jesus already started His. Amen? I'd rather join his church. How about you? And so as a sophomore in Bible college, I got baptized. And made some people back home a little upset at me. Why'd you do that? Well, it wasn't done right. In, in many points, they baptized me before I got saved. It doesn't work that way. You've got to get saved first and, and then baptized. Amen. The authority is in this book through his church. The only way to understand this Bible is to let the words be the boss. Now, there's a lot of words. They tell us there's about 8,000 unique English words that make up your King James Bible. The average vocabulary, we're talking GED type, not not super educated, is about 12,000 words. That if you have any type of specific training or or, uh, read a lot of literature and stuff, your vocabulary will possibly exceed 25,000 words. That's over three times the number of words that are in your Bible. Listen. 
This isn't as complicated as they want to make it. People want to make things complicated, so you will need them. I've heard preachers say, well, if if I taught what you did that everybody could understand the Bible, nobody would come and listen to me preach. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been preaching this book for 25 years, and people still come to listen. You know why? Because they like this book. And because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to assemble as a church. But you can go home and read it for yourself. And understand what it says. Because it's God's word. And it's our authority. And so now we've established a groundwork. Now we're going to look at some things like the church. How about love? I think the word love is the most misunderstood word in the English language. How about Christian service? How many people have a fake relationship with a fake God? These are some of the subjects we want to cover over the next several weeks. I need your prayers because there's a lot of pressure outside the study that distract and inside the study that distract. And you know what? We're preaching against the main work of the devil in our society today. Because if he can offer you an imitation and you accept it, you can miss heaven if you have an imitation salvation or an imitation God. You can miss everything you need to know about God if you have an imitation Bible. You can miss out on the greatest blessings that God has for you in this life if you have an imitation church. You'll miss out on half of what heaven's all about if you have an imitation service. I was talking with Brother Clayton. He said, nobody's nobody's preaching on this stuff today. I want your notes. Well, I don't know how much they'll be a benefit to you, but uh, listen. This is our struggle. Because the devil is the great deceiver. And I will challenge you, as I am preparing for this series, I'm finding things that need to be tuned up in my life. And so I pray that you will find things in yours. So that we can know God. That we can know the power of His resurrection. That our relationship with God will last us through all eternity. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before You, and Lord, we ask now that You would guide and direct us as we study these things, and Lord, that You would help us to cut through the murk and the lies and the deceit, and Lord, that we would use the sword of the Spirit to give our eyes true discernment and be able to agree with You as to what truth is and what error is. And Lord, that you would help us to love you and to serve you and to have a real and true relationship. 
with the only one and true God. Before we finish that prayer, maybe you'd like to add a little of your own to it. The altar is open.